If you're visiting with us, we're, we're in a series here at Big Valley Grace where we're looking at the book of Ephesians together, uh, or it was really a, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians uh, uh, in a town called Ephesus. He wrote the, the letter to Ephesus or the book of Ephesus or, or Ephesians about 30 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of, of Jesus. And as I've told you for the last few weeks, um, imagine you're the pastor of a church in this little town called Ephesus, and uh, all of a sudden one day you got a letter. Paul was in a prison, and he writes this letter, and he sends it off to this church. And uh, mail was delivered. The pastor would have gotten it and said, wow, look, a letter from the Apostle Paul. I got a letter here. And maybe he went to the local uh, Giacomo's and sat down and had a cup of coffee and read this incredible letter that Paul had sent. I would imagine he showed up at church on Sunday. It wasn't a building like this. It wasn't like this, but it was a church nonetheless and said, hey, I got a letter from the Apostle Paul. And I'm sure people all sat in the church that day and he just read it. And it was so special. I, I could imagine maybe the, the pastor saying, you know what, why don't we just take a, uh, some time and maybe next week I'll just look at a little hunk of this and then we'll look at another hunk and we'll just kind of go through this letter together over the next months or whatever. And uh, here we are 2,000 years later and we're doing the exact same thing. We're simply looking at this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Christians in a town called Ephesus, and we're just kind of going, going through it a little hunk at a, at a time. Now, before I get into uh, today's message, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page, especially for those of you that are, are visiting today. In chapter 1, Paul gave us a bunch of really uh, weighty thoughts, really weighty truths. He tells us in chapter 1 that God has blessed us and loved us and chosen us and adopted us. He tells us that he sent, uh, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Uh, he made his wisdom available to us. He revealed the mysteries of his will to us. Paul tells us that God gave his Holy Spirit to live in us forever. God uh, gave us his power to indwell us, and that was all in chapter 1. Then we got to chapter 2, and Paul tells us that we were all dead spiritually, that because God loved us so much, he brought us back to life. He gave us new life, and we got this new life. He brought us back to life, not because of anything that we have done. He simply did that because he loved us. He cared about us. He offered us this free gift. And now that we have this new life from God, God wants us to do good things for him while we're here on planet Earth. That's kind of where I left this last weekend. That now that we are saved, now that we've given our lives to Christ, now that we were made alive, God says, I want you to live a life you know, worthy of your calling. In other words, good works uh, matter to God. They, they don't save us, but God wants us to... Um, you know, wants us to live in such a way that he can express his love through you. God wants to express his mercy through you. God wants to express his gentleness through you. God wants to express his kindness through you. God wants to use you in some really uh, weighty ways uh, in your family, in your neighborhood, at the places that you work, when you're at the mall, 
when you're playing golf, when you're playing tennis, when you're playing bridge, whatever those things are, God wants you to live um, a God-honoring life. Now, before I read our passage for today, uh, I want to set it up, and this is going to take me some time. This message is not like most messages that I uh, uh, unpack here for you. It's not very practical, but there's a lot of data that I I, want to give you. I want you to know some truths, and whether you're a believer in Jesus or not, the information that I'm going to give you is important. You you need to understand some of these these truths that I'm going to share with you, okay? And as I said, it's going to take me some time to unpack this. In Leviticus chapter 20, God said this to the Jewish people. He said, you will possess their land. I will give it to you as an inheritance, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then it says, I am the Lord your God who has set you apart from other nations, God says to the Jewish people, I have set you apart from all the other nations. The the, the Jewish nation had a special relationship with God. God had set them apart from all other nations. Now this didn't, didn't mean that God didn't love other nations or care about other nations, because he did. God made his invisible attributes and divine nature available to everybody. God gave everybody a conscience. God cared about everybody. He loved everybody. But when you read through the Old Testament, you cannot miss the fact that God had a special relationship with the Jewish nation. God gave them certain customs that he wanted only them to keep. God gave them different traditions that he wanted only them to keep. God gave them uh, uh, different ordinances that he only wanted them to keep. God gave them this thing called circumcision. And it was only for the Jewish people. Now, today, you know, doctors tell us that there's great um, uh, health benefits in, in, in all of that. And, uh, but God gave circumcision to the Jewish nation. God didn't want the Jews to associate with other nations or marry others from other nations or follow the practices of other nations. God wanted them to be a little bit unique. He wanted them to be different. And so there were lots of things, especially when you read through the Old Testament, that God only wanted the Jewish nation, the Jews, to to do. He didn't want other nations to do certain things. Only them. They were to do them. They had a reason for that. God supernaturally strengthened them when they got into wars. God spoke to them in a very unique way. He literally spoke to the Jewish nation. Listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 9. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, it's in your notes. It'll be on the jumbotron. The apostle Paul said this. He said, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms that in the Holy Spirit I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Man, what's going on? What what is it that's bothering the great apostle Paul so much? He says, for for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Paul is so burdened for the Jewish people. He literally says, man, I would throw myself into hell 
I'd give up my salvation if my Jewish brothers and sisters could somehow come to the realization of who Christ was. I mean, that's how burdened he was for his Jewish brothers. He says this, theirs is the adoption as sons. Theirs, the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all forever, amen, uh, forever praised, amen. It's not as though God, you know, God's word has failed for not all who are descendant from Israel are Israel. Now, in this passage, Paul lays out a number of really special or, or cool things that set the Jews apart from all other nations, and I want to walk through them. I want you to see what, what, what Paul says here. N number one, a cool thing or special thing, number one, was the Jews were adopted as sons. In verse four, Paul says, theirs is the adoption as sons. This was a, 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 an absolute privilege. L listen to what uh, God told Moses to say to Pharaoh in Exodus chapter four. Then say to Pharaoh, Moses, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. Friend, as you read through the Old Testament, you can't miss the fact that Israel was in a weird way God's child, if you will. Now, Paul's not making a, a statement here about their salvation. He's not telling them that they were somehow saved due to the fact that their God's adopted son. This verse doesn't have anything to do with salvation because salvation has always been on an individual basis. And Paul makes this crystal clear in verse 6 when he says, For not all who are descendants of Israel are Israel. But without a doubt, it was a privilege to be a Jew. I mean, think about what it would mean to be a part of the race that God had adopted as a son. That's, that's pretty special. But Paul doesn't end there. Cool thing number two was that the Jews had the divine glory. Once again, Paul says this in verse four, theirs, the Jews, is the, they're the adoption as sons, theirs the divine glory. Now what does this mean? Well, it means a lot of things, but basically, God is saying out of all the nations in the world, out of all the nations that are out there, I'm going to put my presence within you. I'm going to put my glory with you, the, the Jewish people. And we see this glory when the Israelites crossed the, the wilderness. Exodus chapter 16 says this, while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. We see this glory when Moses went up and got the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 24. We see the glory of the Lord in the tabernacle. First Kings chapter 8 says, and the priests could not perform their uh, services because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. See that? In a weird and wonderful and unique way, God dwelt in the midst of the Jewish nation. Cool thing number three, the Jews were given the covenants. Once again, verse four, theirs is the adoption as son, theirs the divine glory, theirs the covenants. 
Beloved, the covenants were the agreements God made with Abraham and, and Moses and David. These were all the things that God committed himself to do for the Jews. One commentator I read this week said this. He said, quote, no aspect of Israel's history pointed out their uniqueness as the recipients of redemptive revelation more than the covenants. And whether you agree with that or not, it was a special thing that the Jews enjoyed. Cool thing number four, the Jews were given the law. Paul says theirs is the adoption as son, there is the divine glory, there is the covenants, the receiving of the law. The Jews were privileged to be the ones that God chose to give his word to. Paul said this in Romans chapter 3, what advantage then is there to being a Jew or what value is there in, in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, they, the Jews, have been entrusted with the very words of God. That's pretty special, isn't it? I don't know how many Bibles you have at home. Most of us in this room probably have uh, a lot. There's a whole lot of Bibles just in this room alone, right? And the reason why you have that is because of what God did with the Jewish people. They were the ones God gave the word to, and they very meticulously made sure that when it was copied, it was copied accurately, and then, then copied again accurately, and then copied again accurately. You're holding your Bible because of the Jewish people, something that was a, a, a privilege uh, for them. Cool thing number five, the Jews were given the temple worship. Once again, verse four, theirs is the adoption as sons, theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law. Then Paul says the temple worship. God specifically entrusted the Jews with, with running the, the temple worship services. That, that's a special thing. That was a, a, a real privilege. It was a, it was a cool thing. Uh, number six, the Jews were given the promises. Theirs is the adoption of sons, Paul says. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. When you read through the Old Testament, you can't miss the fact that God made a bunch of great and special promises to the Jews. And he's going to keep every one of them. There, there are some that God hasn't fulfilled yet, but he will. If God makes a promise, you can take it to the bank. It's a done deal. But I believe without a, a doubt that Paul was referring to the greatest promise of all, and that was the promise of the Messiah. In Galatians chapter 5, we read this. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child and notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children, as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child, and that, of course, means Christ. That was the greatest promise, without a doubt. Cool thing number seven, the Jews were given the patriarchs. Theirs is the adoption of sons. Theirs the divine glory. Theirs the covenant, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. And then it says theirs are the patriarchs. Think about all the great leaders of the nation of Israel. Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, you know, Solomon, Gideon, and the list goes on and on and on. I mean, it was through these men that the foundations of our faith um, 
you know, and all the blessings were, were laid. Here we are 2,000 years later, and if you know the Lord, man, we, we talk about these incredible patriarchs, don't we? And cool thing number eight, God gave us the Messiah through the Jews. Verse five says, theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Beloved, without a, a doubt, this is the greatest blessing of all. The Jews were given the privilege of being the race that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would, would come from. He was the supreme blessing. Yet tragically, they, they rejected him, and this grieved the heart of Paul. Here Paul runs through all these great blessings that the Jewish people had that God had bestowed upon them and they rejected him and that's why he says, man, I'd give up my own salvation if somehow they would open their eyes to the truth. It grieved the heart of God. And what I'd like to do is is this before I, I move on. I'd like to, to lead us in a prayer, and I want to pray for Jerusalem. I want to pray for the peace of, of Jerusalem. Now, there's never going to be peace in Jerusalem until the Lord comes back. But we're told to, to pray. God asks us to pray. And, and, and I'd like to do that. Father, thank you, Lord, for all of these and many other blessings that you gave to the Jewish people. You, you can't miss, Lord, that you had a very special relationship with them. You loved all the nations. You cared about all the nations, but you had a special relationship with, with, with the Jews. I pray, God, that you would um, watch over that little pinhole on a map called Israel. Pray that somehow, some way, God, you that peace would come. Real peace comes when, when you come, but before you come, Lord, could, could you bring some peace there? Lord, give, um, give great wisdom to those that are in power. Father, thank you, God, that this is a church that, that really um, honors the Jewish people. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Beloved, as you read through the, the Bible, especially the Old Testament, you can't miss the fact that there are, are two different people groups. There were the, the Jews, and then there was everybody else. There were all the other nations. You, you cannot um, miss, miss that. Now, as I said, God loved and cared about everybody. Just because I've, I've kind of laid out some things, just because Paul lays out all these beautiful things that, that the Jews were honored with, doesn't mean that God didn't love everybody. He does. He cares about, about everybody. But you can't miss the special relationship that God had with the Jews and still does have with, with the, the Jews. But why did God choose the Jews? Why? 
why did God give these eight things or eight privileges only to the Jews? I mean, why didn't God, I don't know, spread out these eight things amongst you know, a bunch of different nations? Why did, why did God choose to do them all through the Jews? Well, let me give you two things, okay? And the first one's super deep. This first one is just really, really, whew. you just gotta buckle your seat belts and you gotta put on your thinking caps and this will rattle around in your mind probably all week long, and that is this. Number one, God chose the Jews just, just because. <laughs> your children ever come to you and you, know, you tell them, hey, go clean your room, and they say, why? Just because. That, that, that can be a great answer. You know, just because. I don't know, I told you to do it. I don't have to have a reason. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, it says this, the Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than any other people, for you were the fewest of all people. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Beloved God, pick the Jews because God can do whatever he wants. He didn't, he didn't go to the Jews and say, hey, listen, I, I'm thinking about picking somebody. You got a problem with me picking you? He, he didn't ask for their permission. He didn't ask if it was okay. He didn't, didn't offer it to him. Hey, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this thing. You want it? Because if you don't, that's okay. I'll go, I'll go somewhere else. He just picked them, period, just because. And number two, God chose the Jews that they would tell everybody about him. Genesis chapter 12 says this, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all the peoples of the earth, all of them, not just the Jews, all the peoples, all the different nations, everybody else out there. Remember, God loves everybody. God doesn't play favorites. There's no favoritism with God. He just says, hey, listen, I'm going to bless everybody through you. God said, I, I, I'm going to bless Israel not just so they could sit around and say, man, what lucky people we are but I'm gonna bless Israel and give them all these things so that they could be the ones who share the blessings with everybody else. In other words, God gave the Jews all these things, these eight cool things that they would be the, the missionaries, if you will, to the rest of the world. God expected them to pass it on. He expected the Jews to spread the news about him to all the nations. But as I said, there was a big, huge problem, and that is this. They failed miserably. The Jews, when they received all of these great things, rather than saying, wow, let's go out and share them with everybody, they said, aren't we great? I mean, look at all the cool things that God has given us, right? We're the chosen people, and we're not going to share this with anybody else. And they held on to them. 
I mean, here was, here was God wanting to reach out to mankind through the Jewish nation, and they had actually become the very barrier to the rest of the world um, knowing about the God that they could see in, with the stars in the heaven, you know, the, the glories of, of God. You, you see, all the other nations could go, wow, they all had a conscience God had put there. The problem was they, they didn't know the God. They didn't know anything personal about him. And so it was the Jews that were supposed to go out and tell everybody about this God that you can see his invisible attributes and divine nature. They're clearly seen. And God said, I want you, the Jews, to go out and be the ones that, that, that tell everybody. They unfortunately, were anything but a, a blessing to the rest of the nations. They, they totally missed the point. And maybe the greatest story in the Bible that best illustrates the Jews' unwillingness to tell others about God is the story of Jonah, right? Jonah and the big fish. God tells Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, another nation. And I want you to tell them about me. I want you to tell them about their sin. I want you to tell them about the judgments that, that's coming. I want you to be the one that goes and tells them. <laughs> and Jonah won't do it. L listen to Jonah chapter 1. Look at the very first verse. The Lord gave this message to Jonah. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it. I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Those two verses right there best sum up the Jewish people as it related to the rest of the world, all the other nations. What? You want me to go to Nineveh? And you want me to tell those people about you? No, 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 no. I ain't doing it. I won't have any part of that. You're, 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 you're my God. You're our God. I'm not sharing you with those crummy people. Like, like somehow they, they, you see, they got prideful about who they were. They said, God did all these things for me. Man, aren't we special? Uh-huh, I know they need you, but I ain't going there. They're not special like we are. That was the heart of the Jewish nation. So all this to say, in the Old Testament, God had a special relationship with the, the nation of Israel, the, the, the Jewish people. But when you get to the New Testament, things change. God now has a special relationship with believers in Jesus, believers in the Messiah, Believers in the Savior, whether they're Jewish or not. Now the Jews still have a special place in God's heart. He's not done with them yet. But today, God has made it possible for anybody to have a special relationship with him. Whether you're Jew or Gentile. And that is through what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. Romans chapter 2 says this, there will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. In other words, if you are living in your sin, you've not dealt with your sin, let, let me tell you, calamity is going to come. Whether you're Jewish and you have all these great promises that came through your people or whether you're a Gentile. 
But there will also be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. Why? For God does not show favoritism. Yes, he had a special relationship with the Jews in the Old Testament, and and he's not done with, with, with them yet. But right now, what God has done is say, listen, if you believe in the Messiah, if you believe in Jesus, if you put your trust in the Savior, we're all one in this thing, whether you're a Jew or you're a Gentile. And by the way, let me just tell you this, God still wants to reach the world with the gospel. But instead of using the Jewish nation, he now wants to use believers in him, whether they're Jew or Gentile. And just like God had all these weird customs and weird uh, traditions and ordinances and all these things that, that God wanted the Jewish you know, nation to kind of live by, it kind of made them unique so that when they went out and told people about God, they would go, oh yeah, that's that kind of unique group of people. They're, they're kind of different. They have all these weird customs and they have all these weird ordinances that they keep. God wants to use you, believer, and he wants us to be different too. He wants us to be different, but not necessarily with the external things, but that we would be different in how we live. That we would be a peculiar people. So that when we go and tell people about Jesus, about the Messiah, people would look at us and go, you know, they're, they're kind of different. They're just, how they live and how they talk and all those things, they just, they live differently. So with all this, this said, Old Testament special relationship, God was primarily working through the, 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 the Jewish people. You get to the New Testament, now God is working through believers, the church. If you, if you will. So now what I want to do is I, I just kind of want to walk through our passage here this morning, okay? And I think it will help you understand what Paul is, is writing. There was a purpose for me walking through all of that. In Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 11. Paul says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. <laughs> You, you, you didn't have that special relationship with God. The Jews looked at you as if, man, you know, you had cooties. They didn't want anything to do with you. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision even though it affected only their bodies and, and not their hearts. Right here, beloved, you, you see these two different groups, don't you? You see the Jews and the Gentiles. And as I said earlier, the, the Jews were proud of the fact that they were the ones chosen by, by God and not, not proud in a, in, a, in a good way. They didn't want to share God with anybody. They didn't want to share God with the Gentiles. Now, Paul's going to make a, a great statement here to the Gentiles that's going to really ruffle the feathers of the Jews. He says this in verse 12. In those days, Old Testament, you were living apart from Christ. He, he's talking to us Gentiles. You were excluded from citizenship among uh, the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. And the reason why you didn't know is because they didn't tell you. God had made to them. You, you lived in this world without God and without hope. 
But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have brought, been brought near to him. How did that happen? Through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. That's just, that's beautiful. Basically, what Paul is telling us is that everything has changed. Instead of God simply working through the Jews and having a special relationship only with the Jews and dealing with humanity only through the Jews, God is now going to work through believers, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. God is now having a special relationship with believers and Gentile, uh, believers in Jesus, whether they're Jew or Gentile. In other words, Jesus makes us one. We're one people group, Jews and Gentiles. And that doesn't mean that God isn't going to, you know, fulfill the promises that he made to the Jewish people. He's got some promise. He's still going to deal with them. But now God has this family, brothers and sisters, the church, the bride of Christ, whether you're Jew or a Gentile. Now, let me just reiterate this. God's not done with the Jewish nation. They're, they're, they're still a very special group of people to him. But what Paul is basically saying here is that God has made it possible for everybody to have a special relationship with him. And that is through his son, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 15. Paul said, he made peace between Jews and Gentiles be by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on a cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. In other words, Jesus makes us one. We're, we're, we're one uh, you know, people group, if you will. Listen, if someone believes that Jesus Christ was God's only son, okay, the, the second person of the Holy Trinity, and they believe that Jesus was born of, of the Virgin Mary, that he lived a perfect life, a sinless life, and that he voluntarily went to a cross and died for their sins, was buried, and on the third day was resurrected from the dead, and if they put their trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation, that person is a part of God's family, God's church, which means they're my brother and sister in the Lord, <coughs> whether they're Jew or Gentile. You see that? By the way, the person that's writing this, Paul, was Jewish. All of the original disciples were, were Jewish. There was a time when the church was just made up of, of, of Jews. I mean, there was a cataclysmic shift that took place in, in biblical days. Now, let me quickly say this. You have to make sure uh, that you have the right Jesus. Uh, there are a lot of Jesuses out there, but only one's going to save you. Uh, I had Karen Fulmer, who works here at the church, uh, run uh, a, a thing through all the members of our church, and she found that we have two members of our church whose name is Jesus. I know one of them well, Jesus, unbelievable guy. 
Now, you can put your trust in either one of those two Jesuses that are members here, and neither one of them will save you. We actually have three other guys in our church, met one of them last night, whose name is Jesus. They're not members. Fantastic guy. Moral guy, good guy. But if you put your trust in him, um, uh, he doesn't save you of your sins. He doesn't make it, you know, he, he doesn't do anything for you. He's just a good guy. I want, I want you to really think here. There's a point to what I'm saying. If you don't put your trust in the right Jesus, you're still dead in your sins. Oh, your, your heart's still beating, you're alive physically, but you're dead spiritually. There were people during biblical days that were running around teaching false doctrines, things that weren't biblically true, and this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, these people are false apostles. They're deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ, but I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And that's an important piece of information for us as believers. Satan will make sure that there are churches out there and preachers out there that will tell you about a man named Jesus. The problem is, is that they're not talking about the Jesus that's revealed here. They're, they've got a different Jesus. I could stand up here all day long and tell you about one of those two Jesuses in our church, and you could put your trust and hope in those Jesuses, but they don't do anything for you. And we know that Satan wants to be just like God. He comes as an angel of light. And so it makes sense that he'd money up the waters and make sure that there are all kinds of Jesuses out there but you might put your trust in other than the one true living Jesus, you see. The last thing that Satan wants is for you or, or, or anybody else to put their trust in the, in the one true living Jesus. So the angel of light has come up with all kinds of Jesuses and he's done a pretty good job of deceiving people into putting their trust into those Jesuses. let's say that somebody came up to you and told you that they had received Jesus into their lives, okay? And they went on to tell you that the Jesus they put their trust in was the half-brother of Satan, the spirit brother of Lucifer. Would their Jesus be the same Jesus that, that I preach about? Would their Jesus be the same Jesus you put your trust in? No. The Bible's crystal clear. Satan is, you know, Lucifer is not the half-brother of Jesus. He's not the spirit brother of Jesus. We know that. So if somebody said, I put my trust in Jesus, you know, he's the half-brother of, 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 of Satan, and you'd go, ooh, we, we got two different Jesuses here. The Mormons, who are great people, they're moral people. They're the kinds of people that you want for your neighbors. I said last night, man, I wish all my neighbors were Mormons, and I have a neighbor who goes to church here. We're sitting right down there, and she texted me last night. Does that mean you, what, what does that mean? You want me as your neighbor? No, no, it was just a, it was just a point I was, I was making. <laughs> hey, there are lots of issues that me and, uh, and you and, uh, and would, would agree with as it relates to, to morality and things like that. 
they have a counterfeit Jesus. And the reason I know it's a counterfeit Jesus is because their Jesus is the half-brother or the spirit brother of Satan. They believe that God created Jesus and he created Satan, which makes them spirit brothers, which means they've got the wrong Jesus, which means they're not my brothers and sisters in the Lord. They're fantastic people. This is not a judgment about their morality. This is about their salvation. As I said, I'm not kidding. I wish all my neighbors were, were, were Mormons. They're fantastic people. And they have a Jesus. But the angel of light who wants to be just like God, just, just deceive you enough, has given them a Jesus. And they've got one. Look, they can be my good friends, they can be my good neighbors, they can be good people that I agree with on many issues, but they can't be my brothers and sisters in Jesus because we have two different Jesuses. It doesn't matter that they have a building that looks like ours, it doesn't matter that they have a pulpit like mine, it doesn't matter that they have a choir like ours, it doesn't matter that they have missionaries like we do, it doesn't matter that they have morals like us. What makes us one is having the right Jesus. That's what makes us one. Now let me just tell you something. This isn't so we go out and bash them. <laughs> you got the wrong Jesus. No. I just want to make sure we all understand some things about Jesus and what makes us one. It, I'm glad that I have people out there, people who don't even believe in God, that are against abortion. Man, let's do it, man. Uh, uh, we can agree on that issue. But that doesn't mean you're my brother in the Lord. Doesn't mean you're my sister. It just means we agree on a particular issue that maybe our country is facing. See? And I can link arms with a guy. I don't care whether he knows God or not to try to stop the killing of babies. We're talking about the issue of being brothers and sisters in the Lord and whether you have a special relationship with the one true, true living God. Now let me say it again. If someone believes in Jesus, the Jesus that's revealed in the Bible, that, that Jesus was God's only son, not created by God, but God's only son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, born of a virgin, who lived a perfect life, who voluntarily went to a cross and died for their sins, was buried on the third day, was resurrected from the dead, and they put their trust in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ in their for their salvation, that person's my, my, my brother or sister in the Lord. Now let me tell you what that means. It means that I have Christian brothers and sisters that come from all different kind of churches. Baptist churches, German Baptist churches, Brethren churches, Lutheran churches, Reformed churches, Episcopalian churches, Methodist churches, Assembly of God churches, Presbyterian churches, Foursquare churches, non-denominational churches, Calvary Chapel churches, Messianic Jewish churches. I spoke in every one of those kind of churches except for one. Now, all of these churches will do things a little bit differently. There'll be different styles of worship. Some will be liturgical, some will be traditional, some will be very contemporary, but they're my brothers and sisters in the Lord if they've given their life to Christ, the one true living God. Jesus makes us one. I have brothers and sisters in the Lord that are Africans, Mungs, Chinese, Navajos, Italians, Germans, Assyrians, Lithuanians, Serbs, Dutch, Norwegians, Jews, Swedes, Latinos, Portuguese, Japanese, Korean, Russian, Indians, Finns, Greeks, Arabs. It just goes on and on and on. 
Some of my brothers and sisters in the Lord are young, some are middle-aged, some are old, some are single, some are married, some are divorced, some are widowed, some are rich, some are poor, some are black, some are white. But because they've all put their trust in the one true living God, we're, we're, we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. We are a part of God's church, God's family. By the way, you can, be a ba- you can go to a Baptist church, you, you can go to a German Baptist church, a Brethren church, a Lutheran church, a Reformed church, you can come here and not be my brother and sister in the Lord. Being a member of those churches isn't what makes you a, a Christian, doesn't make you a brother in the Lord. I've made it very clear. It's if you put your trust in Christ. Some of you could be members of this church, and you don't know, you're, you're, you're a member here, but that doesn't make you my brother in the Lord. Just because you attend a church doesn't mean anything. What matters is do you know the one true living God? That's what matters. And if you know the one true living God, you've given your life over to them, you may go to a Presbyterian church. You may go to a Reformed church. Look, I don't, I don't, you know, baptizing infants doesn't make any sense to me. But I'm going to tell you right now, R.C. Sproul is one of my heroes. And if I could get R.C. Sproul to preach at this pulpit, I'd cut off a finger. Man, R.C. Sproul's coming to Big Valley. But he believes in baptizing infants. I don't understand it, but let me tell you something. I don't let that issue cloud my thinking. Well, we'll just disagree on that thing. But man, what an incredible man of God. What a neat brother in the Lord who's done unbelievable things for the kingdom of God even though he's got that issue wrong. And he'll figure that out when he gets to heaven. But, because uh, <laughs> here at Big Valley, we got it all right. We, we, we've got this, we nailed it. <laughs> Look at verse 17. <laughs> he brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Did you get that? The, the Jews were near. They had all these fantastic blessings that I shared with you. They didn't have a relationship, but they were near. They were nearer than us Gentiles. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with uh, all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. I loved what Dr. MacArthur said about these verses. He said this. I want you to really pay attention to this. He said, quote, Paul closes his discussion of the marvelous unity of the body of Christ by giving three metaphors to illustrate it. In the picture of fellow citizens, he shows how Jew and Gentile have become a part of the same kingdom. In the picture of God's household, he shows how all believers are one spiritual family in Christ In the picture of the holy temple uh, in the Lord, he shows that all believers are together a habitation for God. And I just thought, wow, that's just really great. And I, I wish more Christians got it. 
There's some of you, bless your souls, you, you just get so frustrated in June when I do the one in Christ. And I love you and I care about you. And I know that there are moments when somebody will come up here and they, they don't see things just the way you do. And at their churches, they may do things a little bit different. Their, their form of church government may be a little bit different. You know, Pastor Rick, don't you know down there at First Baptist, they don't have elders? They got deacons. <laughs> is, it, is that why you made an appointment with me? Huh. I hope I don't have to spend an hour in here talking to you about this. Well, well, you know, the Bible's pretty clear, you know, we, we Elders, the elders lead the church. Okay, they, they got deacons. Their form of government's different than ours. You know, Jesus said, if you want people to know that you're one of my disciples, it'll be your love for one another. And if you know Christ, the one true living God, second person, Holy Trinity, you, 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 you get that. And you've put your trust in Jesus. You may come out of a Reformed background. You're my brother and sister in the Lord. I know there's somebody who won't be happy with that. But you're my brother you're my sister in the Lord. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul said, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, if he would have said, You are all children of God through your faith in Christ Jesus, and if you have your church government organized properly. If the word of God said that, then man, I'm all over that. Right? He didn't say that. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Isn't that, isn't that just really refreshing? I guess I'll end with this. Are you a, a child of God? Are you one of God's children? Are we brothers and sisters in the Lord? Listen to what John said in John chapter 1. He said, he came into the very world that he created. That's Jesus. But the world didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize him as the long-awaited Messiah. They didn't recognize him as the long-awaited Savior. He came to his own people, the Jews, and even they rejected him. Those that had all the promises and the covenants and all the stuff. But to all who believe in him, all who believe in him and have accepted him, he gave those people the right to become children of God. That they, they are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but, but that, that birth comes from God. 
In other words, the best that a, a guy and a gal can do who are married, who have a child is, is they have a physical child. That's the best you can do. But, but that, you're just dead spiritually. It's only God. It's only God who can bring you alive spiritually. He's the one, and at that moment, you become one of his children. Yes, God has created everybody. He's created every single one of you in here, over in the venue, those watching me on, online, those listening on the radio. He created everybody. Everybody's been created in his image, but it's only those that have given their life to Christ who become children of God. And when you become a child of God, that's what makes us brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's what makes us one. Jesus accomplished all of that. And so the question I, I want you to wrestle around with is, are you a child of God? You give, have you given your life to Christ? Was there a moment when you invited him into your life, when you believed in him, you received him, you understood who he was, you, you uh, uh, humbled yourself and said, God, you're God and I'm not, and so I'm humbling myself and, and I give you control of my life. You become the general manager of my life. My life is yours. Was there a moment that you did that? Because if not, you're not a part of God's family. That which means you're not one of my, you're not my brother, you're not my sister in the Lord. And so over in the venue in here, just everybody close their eyes for just a, just a second. And if you're here and you've given your life to Christ, you are my brother in the Lord, my sister in the Lord. Maybe this is a moment to say, hey man, how am I doing? Am I, am I living out my faith? Since the beginning of time, God wanted the Jews to be the ones that, that lived out their life in such a way that they would share with others the beauty of, of the Messiah, the, the, the beauty of God. And now, now it's in your hands, Christian, Jew or Gentile. I don't care whether you're Jew or Gentile in here. God still wants us all to go out and be salt and light and, and, and live an incredible life for God. And maybe, maybe this is a moment of repentance for you. Maybe you've become like the, like the Jews and you're not telling anybody about Jesus. You're keeping them all to yourself. That's not good. God wants you to be his mouthpiece. But maybe you're here, or maybe you're over in the venue or whatever, and you've never given your life to Christ. You're not a part of God's family, which means we're not brothers and sisters in the Lord. Maybe this is the moment where you just say, God, right now, just right now, in this quiet moment, in your heart, just say, God, I receive you right now. I believe in you. I'm giving you my life. I've never done this, God, but I understand it right now. And right now, I give my life to you. I humble myself. And I invite you into my life. Cleanse me of my sin. I want to be in your family. My life is yours, God. I want you to know that if you prayed that or there's something going on in your life in a moment here, I'm going to close and the altar room is open. There's an altar room over in the venue. Last night, a whole lot of people went in there. And maybe today is the day you go in there and say, hey, I gave my life to Christ. Let us give you a Bible. Let us hip hip array. Maybe there's just something going on you want to talk with a spiritual leader about. That's what the altar room is for. Father, thank you for today. I, I, last night, I've just really enjoyed the music and singing and worshiping you through uh, 
our prayers, through our giving, through the proclamation of your word. Father, may we walk out of here today, those of us that know you and understand that you, you have a role for us to play in our homes and in our neighborhoods and, and, and in the mall and the places that we work and the grocery store and those that we have fun with. You still want to reach people. You want to use us, Jew or Gentile. And may this be an incredible week of people just interfacing with those that are lost. I'm just going to believe that great things are going to happen, God. Thanks, Jesus, for your goodness to us. And I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. If you need to come to the altar room, go to the altar room or, or whatever. Okay, blessings.